Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello, how are you all doing? Welcome along to another of our pre-season podcasts as we try and get ourselves and uh, you lot back in the mood for football in, well, just a couple of weeks' time now. It doesn't quite seem right, does it? Uh, with me as ever tonight is Martin as we round up the latest goings-on and take a look back to a memorable European night around about this time five years ago. So, Martin, first order of business and some actual... Normal football news. We had a bid for Sam Cosgrove, a bid from Green Gamp, who um, were League One until the end of season 2018-19, League One of France that is. But last season, first season down in League Two for about a decade, uh, they finished mid-table, well off of promotion spots. The bid ran about two and a half million euros, apparently translates to just over two million sterling. At the moment, it translates to that. Give it a few months, who knows what it'll be, Martin? Uh, with an, about another five hundred k in euros and add-ons, accepted by the club, but turned down by San Cosgrove. I think partly because it was French deadline day that day, so he'd kind of had to make the decision that day without sort of properly weighing it up, going out to see the facilities, that sort of idea. Or do you think maybe it's a, a thought that he probably sees his future? Down back in England um, I definitely think he sees his future in England I mean unfortunately And we've mentioned this before That anybody who's got Some sort of modicum of success In the Scottish game They seem to always be looking towards England You know Untold riches that that can bring I think it was quite lucky for us The club obviously We, we know the club Are looking to get money in We probably will have to resign ourselves To at least one of the our assets probably leaving in the in the very near future. Whether that's Cosgrove or McKenna or whoever, we'll have to wait and see. Like you say, I think the club are probably looking to get money in, but I don't think he was. This was ever going to be accepted. Like you say, there he had one day to decide. Um, didn't get no chance to go over there and have a look and see what was going uh, going on. League Two in France as well. Unless you're a real scholar of European football, not not many of us have got a, you know, a great knowledge of that league, and I know. With all due respect to Sam, I don't think he's probably an avid watcher. Um, I know you never know. He maybe plays a hell of a lot of football manager, and has got a lot of knowledge of the of the league of league two. We don't know. We will prepare ourselves for further bids. You definitely the future is obviously down there. I mean, the English market, uh, as we've mentioned previously, is is crazy at times, and so with a bit of luck, we could hopefully squeeze a little bit extra cash out of them. What sort of football manager player do you reckon Sam Cosgrove would be? I reckon he'd be a lower league English manager. He'd, he'd start off with a sort of Atkinson or Altrincham or somebody like that. I, I don't see him being one of these guys that goes and picks Man United straight off the bat. No, I definitely think that. I think he's one of these sort of picks like, you know, 
Forest Green or one of these mob and so you can boast and tell the lads oh, I took Forest Green all the way to the all the way to the Champions League final. But I think he probably downloads tactics. Anyway, um <laughs> Who knows how it's all going to play out with regards to the finances of the English League. So, you know, we know it's a basket case. The Championship in particular, barely a club there that doesn't spend over 100% of its income on wages because, you know, they're all just hopeful of reaching the promised land of the Premiership. Who knows what impact on a longer term this uh, this virus will have and the, uh, you know, the assorted economic impacts. So whilst it's hurting us, I dare say it's also hurting other clubs as well. Um, although they're probably less reliant on stadium income, match the income than we are. I think um, the figures showed last year that the DSPFL was was one of the league's highest, most reliant on fan money. And certainly if you look at our own figures, we're going to be decimated by that. But yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people have suggested that, you know, that's us naming our price. But I don't necessarily think a price that's been accepted from a team in France is necessarily the price that we'd accept from a team in the championship or even, say, top of League One down south, simply because of the fact that there's much more likelihood is a then subsequent move on to another team. So, you know, you've got the possibility of sell-on fees, you know, and why shouldn't we get a bigger chunk of the original pie anyway? I don't quite see it as quite setting our price. But that said, say we do end up with two and a half million for a guy that we famously spent 40k on, that, that's still tremendous good business and it does speak to a, a very good piece of work on this player, on this very raw block of granite as he was when he first came. Um, and he's really been moulded into to, to an effective striker. If we're picking numbers out there, we're saying two and a half million. If you get that for him, you have to be happy. You know, we've spoken plenty of times before about the about you know, the article that came out last season about the work that Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty did with him, um, and they spoke about him to tell him to play like he's a, like you no, know, he's six inches short or whatever it was. I can't remember the exact quote. And so they have they've you no know, they've done a really a really great job of turning this guy who was you no know, really really raw footballer when he came up. You know, after that, you no, know, that sending off obviously very early in his Aberdeen career. I don't think we could. I don't think any of us. Thought that in you know July 2020 we would be sitting talking about perhaps getting two and a half million quid from. So um, it's a it's a phenomenal turnaround for him. The credit has to has to go to the club and the work they've done with him. It's really indicative, isn't it, of how some people's first impressions are completely and utterly set that after two seasons of 20 plus goals. He's still he's still considered a donkey by a decent section of the Aberdeen support. I think some of us you, you can't shift that from some people. I mean, it's the. It's the same kind of thing where you know you've got you've got players who back in even back in the glory days there were guys who you know still had people on their back you know we know guys like you know Billy Stark suffered because you know he wasn't Mark McGee Brian Grant will forever be targeted with a you know underappreciated player no matter how good he was for us um, and yeah two seasons and all these goals later Sam's still going to be targeted with you know he's just a big donkey who scores penalties. So if he if he does move on, don't think there'll be a lot of money to spend, but there'll be at least a wage to spend on replacements. Uh, a name that's been bandied about in the last couple of weeks as a potential signing, even before uh, Sam Cosgrove moves on, if he does, is uh, Mikhail Mandron of currently of Gillingham, former Sunderland academy player. He seems to have bounced about the English lower leagues uh, for a while. It's not the greatest of CVs. Um, on the one hand. Yeah, you you can look at Sam Cosgrove and say he had a, a far worse CV. On the other hand, you can look at, well, lots of other guys who've come north and haven't exactly excelled. Calvin Zola being 
uh, being the first of them under Derek McInnes. It's, that's certainly not a name that's going to excite anybody, is it, Mikael Mandron? It's one of these names that seems kind of crops up, and you just see, you just kind of look at him, and you see, you see sort of Sunderland loan spells at you know Fleetwood and that, and then like Wigan, Colchester. Um, you look at him and you kind of screams journeyman. You know, if the manager scouting team have identified this guy as a potential target, then you kind of hope they've managed to pick a pick a, a gem here. I mean, I think he's only I think he's only less like, mid twenties as well. Uh, the other name that's kind of been bandied about is uh, a bit close at home. It's uh, Ross Stewart of Ross County. He's he's got a few suitors, but probably from that area of the league in England that uh, Mikel Mandelman has come from uh, in the last few weeks. County obviously hoping to hold on to one of their star assets and get a decent amount of money for him. And this is a guy who uh, really has come prominent um, in the last couple of seasons. Obviously a big part in Ross County's championship win um, in 2018-19. And um, adapted to life pretty well in the uh, in the Premiership. Another guy with a, with a good height about him um, and the old cliche, decent feet for a big lad. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to, from the snatches I've seen him, obviously I'm going to see him against Aberdeen. My interest in even in Ross County are playing another SPFL games are pretty minimal. I'll, I'll watch the Aberdeen games and that's pretty much it, I'm afraid. If you're looking for a well-rounded footballing opinion, I'm probably not the person to go to. But um, obviously he's he's been on the radar of quite a few clubs um, and that would that would seem to be a kind of like for like replacement, at least a, an attempt at a like for like replacement. Again, I'm the same. I, no, other than what I've seen of him when he plays against Aberdeen and the the few minutes here and there on um, Scott Sport, whatever it is, um, no, you don't don't really know a hell of a lot about him. But you know, he's he's played he's played about fifty games for them. He's scored enough, a few goals here and there. He's he's he's, he's highly rated. You know, other other teams are looking at him as well. Again, mid twenties. So it'd be a decent, I mean, thing. And if we lose Cosgrove, you know, if we lose Cosgrove, then you no, know, someone has. So I think well, someone has to come in. Um, we obviously have, you know, do have other options up front. I would, you know, personally, um, I would like to see some more game time for the guys that we have at the club, specifically probably Bruce Anderson. Uh, but you know, you, you need to have options in there as well. Bruce Anderson is is like raw as well, but there's you know all the talent in the world there. We obviously have the very highly rated Michael Ruth as well, who got the, I think he won the Development Player Award, so he's one for the future as well. Um, and obviously we have Curtis Main as well. But um, I don't know about you, Richard, but I mean I'd be looking for perhaps you know Bruce Anderson to be staking a bigger claim um, this season. Yeah, I think we'd all like to see that, but ultimately I think that's going to require a pretty wholesale change in approach from the manager, and I'm not convinced that that is going to happen. To be honest, maybe we'll be able to play more of the ball. Uh, have play more of the game in the opposition half this season. Maybe if Johnny Hayes is utilised at the park, although I have my doubts about that, then uh, you know we'll be back to being able to profit more from from fast, quick balls across the box that a, that a natural predator like Bruce Anderson can get on the end of. It, it obviously worries me because the parallels are there with Shankland. And we, the thing about Shankland is we still we still don't know what he's like at the top level. Yes, he's a tremendous scorer of goals in the championship and the leagues below that, but we still don't know. And it might be that he absolutely excels in this coming season and fair play to him. It seems that he's switched it on having uh, once he was released by Aberdeen. He's, he's really knuckled down and made sure his career wasn't going by the wayside. But there's been plenty of other guys in Scotland 
who has scored for fun in the lower leagues, but you know would be out of their depth when it comes to the top flight. It is quite a substantial step up. You know, Rory McAllister has got how many goals for Peter Head and he's moved to Cove, hasn't he? But to do it in the top flight, it takes it takes a bit more than doing it in the development leagues. It takes a bit more than just doing it when he's out on loan, as Bruce did when he went to Dunfermline. He, he played pretty well, got, I think, five goals and 13 games or something around that. He needs to make that next step, but I'm I, I'm just not convinced that the setup that Derek McInnes likes to employ will see him be able to do that because I, I think McInnes wants a striker that's able to like lead the line in a pretty old-fashioned sense. If we lose Cosgrove, are we are we looking at Curtis Main being his guy then? Well, without any further additions, yeah, I, I think so. I think so, and you got to remember that towards just before we stopped playing, that Curtis Main had kind of usurped him for that starting role um, because, you know, the whole team was struggling to score goals and ultimately that uh, weight fell on uh, Sam. Main's industry, uh, his ability to uh, rough up and uh, put pressure on defenders as a kind of more defensive forward, managed to get results. A couple of neat finishes as well. I mean, it's got to be said that he didn't score many, but the goals he did score, there were some of the better ones of last season. The, the header against Kilmarnock, the lovely little chip against Hamilton. Some good finishes, uh, Some, but that's been the problem. It's been flashes of quality, and there's been an awful lot of mediocrity, particularly early in the season from him. So I don't think I would like to be in a position where I have to rely on Curtis Main, whereas, you know, we've come to rely, we've come to be able to rely on Sam Cosgrove just because of the quality that he has brought over the past 18 months. And uh, again, it feels ludicrous to still have to be defending him um, despite that. But, uh, I mean, obviously, strikers are only as good as the last few games. That's that's the problem that they've all got. And um, he tends to be quite streaky, I think, Cosgrove. We're talking about him like he has definitely gone. It kind of feels like he probably will be on the move quite soon. You'd think that somebody would take a gamble in that, in that sort of two to three million pound bracket. But uh, I guess it remains to be seen how it plays out over the next couple of years. A uh, couple of weeks, rather. Moving on, Ross County, obviously, we, we've uh, spoken about them with regards to Ross Stewart. It was Ross County that were um, up at Cormac Park at the weekend. In an unannounced bounce game, the first one that we've uh, that we've played. I mean, usually, Martin, it's pretty foolish to read anything at the pre-season games whatsoever. So with this one, I mean, given that nobody from outside the two clubs saw it, who the hell knows? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we literally have no in, nobody other than people within the club have any kind of insight on it. Which I be, which I'll be honest, I kind of like. We've all gone to you know, these these games, whether it's you no know, Fraserburgh, Peterhead, or Broth or something. And came back raving about you know some trialist. You know, remember the good old days of going up to Peterhead when we had guys like I think it was like Adnan Ahmed and Robbie Williams on trial, and thinking, no, one of these guys could maybe be a bit of a player. So I kind of like this. I kind of like that it's really kind of uh, you know, underground, and you know nobody's seen it, and nobody knows anything about you know how anybody looked other than the official, the official um, club accounts, which I you know I think is a bit more entertaining. It gives it makes it a bit more exciting that we're probably going to go into this first game in you know two and a half weeks, whatever it is. Probably knowing absolutely nothing about how how the team are doing. Yeah, far and away the best one of those was when remember the, uh, under Calderwood they had the the Polish guy uh, Piotr 
Wald Chick or something like that, and he scored a hat trick up at uh, Fraser Burr, was it? Yeah. He's he scored three, but Darren Mackey scored four that night. So you know the the standard of the opposition wasn't fantastic. <laughs> but everyone decided because this lad had scored three against Fraserburgh, he was the next, you know, Rudy Voller. And so the next couple of weeks were spent uh, desperately hoping that we'd be able to get the monies together, the ten thousand pounds or whatever it was going to cost to to get him in from Poland. But uh, <laughs> but no, that didn't come to fruition. Um, so that is definitely the best one of those. Yeah, you're absolutely right about preseason friendlies. What a complete and utter waste of time they are, generally speaking. I, I, I have a self-imposed exile, despite the fact that, you know, I live and breathe the dawns. I, I haven't been been to one since. And again, it was at Brecon, I think, a, a chaotic 4-4 draw under Scovedal there. Yeah. Uh, I think the only appeal, frankly, is, is being able to tick a couple of grounds off your list, a couple of lower league grounds off your list. The games themselves, utter non-events. I, and this televising of pre-season friendlies that happens now, dear me, uh, and that's what I kind of fear that the games behind closed doors are going to sort of feel like as well. Um, but I guess we've had a little taste of that in the leagues that have restarted subsequent. Um, and again, to, to hit home the point, two and a half weeks' time, we're, we're starting a new season and it'll be in that scenario. Um, what we do know is there's still a couple of injuries um, affecting the squad, uh, Martin. Words from the manager, likes of Cosgrove and Kennedy, still a week or so behind. Curtis Main has had the surgery that he required and uh, Michael Devon apparently picked up a hamstring knack against uh, County at the weekend. I, I find it more interesting that Devon was playing, to be honest, because he was, he was pretty far out of the picture towards the end of last season. He was, yeah. I mean, I thought that was a bit of a surprise as well, but I guess it's, you know, these games are perhaps just about getting, you get, know, the early games anyway, the first ones, I mean, are probably about getting guys some minutes. I mean, I don't know how much of a surprise you can see it as. I mean, it's just, it's just another... You know, it's just another chapter in the in the the Aberdeen nightmare that is um, Mikey Devlin, isn't it? Just another injury. Um, you hope it's just a strain and not a tear, um, so he isn't missing for for large spells as well. I mean, there is a player in there. No, we know there is, um, but unfortunately, he just seems to on the cusp of being broken constantly. Um, and you know, we talk about Cosgrove perhaps leaving. Um, you know, if the bids come back in for McKenna as well. Um, then you know we really can't afford to be having you know Mikey Devlin, who is if not if not the, fir- the for one of the first choice, he's definitely sort of second in second choice for coming on and playing in that position as well. So um, that's that's a, a, a bit of a worry. Def- defensively, that's not great news, is it? That you no know, Mikey Devlin getting injured yet again. Well, no, and and you know that. Again, it's difficult to know whether it's, it's sort of an overcompensation given what else has happened to him in the past. But you do forget that the first three, four months he was here up until he did pick up an injury, uh, which was unrelated to his previous injuries at Hamilton. He, he was really, really solid and, and thoroughly deserved the talk of you know Scotland call-ups and so on that he was getting. Yes. So um, there was a very capable SBFL-level player there. But yeah, he, he is probably fourth centre-half in the ranks right now because... Taylor and McKenna right now, as it stands, are definitely the the first choice. But I think, as we saw, what would happen if one of those got injured would be that Andy Considine would would move in one, and they'd, well, in this case, it would be Johnny Hayes at left back, or maybe you put Shea Logan out to left back and Hernandez into right back. Obviously, it's a smaller squad this year. It doesn't mean to say that there isn't some young talent coming through, but it's, it's going to be a smaller squad. So, one of the risks of carrying a smaller squad is that you know injuries like that are liable to mount up and liable to affect you quite 
yeah. quickly. On top of that, Ross County game, I've managed four more bounce games over the next couple of weeks. The oddity again about this is it's obviously going to be against teams that we will be facing in the league, so there'll be very much a case of familiarity breeding contempt uh, by the end of this season on top of you know what we usually see. I guess we've got to try, Martin, to try and get ourselves built up as as we would normally do over the next couple of weeks and, and get ready for a very surreal start to the season. The next couple of weeks will just sort of well, it will slowly but surely get ramped up once we kind of once we know you know once I'm sure some signings will be made with other teams and you know we'll find out you know exactly how our squad's going to look. I don't think you know that we need any any more pumping up than you know starting the league against them. A nice tea time kickoff as well, so I'll just maybe a few pints in the house. You never know, but yeah, come I'm sure come Saturday first of August it'll be. It'll be it'll be a little bit more exciting, but it just you know we find ourselves in you know cliche time unprecedented circumstances at the moment. We kind of feel feels weird to be thinking about football when you know a lot of people aren't even you know working from home and all this kind of carry on right now. I'm sure first of August we'll all be we'll all be pumped up and ready for it, and it'll be it'll be back to some semblance of football and normality anyway. Well, um, in the absence of actual real life current football, uh, what we've Obviously, done a lot over the past few months has been wallowing nostalgia. So let us do that again. Take the opportunity to do that again right now because yeah. we're coming up to um, the fifth anniversary of a a very very memorable European night in Croatia. Now, Raika, we met again obviously last season. I think memories of the stunning win in 2015 have been a little bit tainted by last season's very meek defeat. But in many ways, Martin, that, that should only reinforce what a, what a stunning display it was that night on the Adriatic coast. Going into that game, you know, we were pretty much told there was absolutely no chance of us going over there and taking something off them. They had a phenomenal home record over there. They hadn't been beaten in 13 European games over there as well. So we really were going over there thinking, oh, if we can, if we can maybe sneak a nil-nil, this would be a great result. In the modern era... Um, arguably the best per- the best European performance we've seen from Aberdeen. Though you wait finishes like that, you find yourself you, know, you win 3-0 Basically, you're, you're through to the next round uh, with you know, with a game to spare. You can you know, wait for the draw and see who'll come in. And no, yeah, it was just it was just an, an unbelievable performance from. And I, I mean, I don't I don't know if you're saying the same, but you know, we were we were looking at it thinking, and, I, and I'll probably have to listen back to. To what, when we reviewed it back in, back five years ago, but I don't think any of us really saw um, a victory over there coming. No, and, and you're right. We had be, been preconditioned to kind of think, well, it's a good rubbish draw. Uh, we'd, we'd struggled through in the uh, first round um, against the, I'm going to say the Albanians, but of course they're not actually Albanians, but um, they were a team with an Albanian following from Macedonia. The, yeah. <laughs> it, the, the, it's rather strange situation of uh, Shikendia. Um And we'd struggled through against them on away goals. And I don't think that gave us any sort of belief that we were going to do anything against Raika. I think a lot of us had just assumed, well, that's us out. Raika had been in the group stages and competed pretty well in them the season before. They, they were, as you rightly said, they'd been undefeated at home by that point for a year. And then after that game... They didn't get beat at home for another two seasons, for another two <laughs> years. So between September 2014 and August 2017, Aberdeen were the only team to win in Raika. And that includes, as I say, those Europa League games against the likes of Sevilla, Feyenoord, Standard Liège, 
good teams. Uh, and Raika then in 2016-17 finally went on to pip Dinamo Zagreb to, to win the Croatian League. So the result that night at uh, Cantrida was um, definitely unexpected, definitely out of the blue. And, well, a couple of things stick out for me. I mean, it was there's a sort of inbuilt resistance as an Aberdeen fan any time... Uh, and Aberdeen manager opts to go three stroke five at the back. But that night, we did. And it didn't look like it was going to work. The opening 20, 25 minutes, we were getting pummeled. They hit the post, they were called after a few minutes, they missed another couple of very serviceable chances. We were really under the cosh. And then the drinks break comes. Again, a first for an Aberdeen game that I can remember, a drinks break. And after that, we start getting into it a bit more. We start edging up the pitch. And then we win a corner, and we get the opener. I mean, it's it's the big guy, isn't it? It's Andy Considine. Just a great leap, reaches uh, the corner. The keeper comes out flailing, doesn't get anywhere near it. Just bullets at home, one nil. And you're thinking, fantastic away goal. Maybe sneak out a, a one-one, a two-one defeat at the end. We've got a chance at Petardo. We've got a chance at Petardo, and that's again, that's probably still the height of our ambitions at that point, wasn't it, Martin? I think it was, yeah. I mean, no, like you say, Constantine does what Andy Constantine does, just finds himself at the back post, and you know, he gets up there, and brilliantly gets up there. Absolute nightmare from their keeper, really was. Um, don't, know, no, don't know what he was thinking coming coming out like that. Um, if he just stayed this line, it would have been, I know, you know, bread and butter for him. But yeah, Constantine up like, up like a salmon at the back post. And knock, knocks one in, and yeah, you're saying like say you go over there, and we don't, we weren't confident. I don't think going over there, other than you know, you kind of get the oh, we'll get, we'll get a result, we'll do something. You know, kind of maybe once a few beers have been taken, you think that, but once you get that away goal, you can you can start feeling a little bit more confident. After the water break, the team sort of grew in confidence, started working more. I thought Logan, Logan would have had a really excellent game. He was getting getting up the pitch, um, some great balls in. That was that was a time where we really did. We were seeing the best of Shea Logan there as well. Some of the some of the balls he delivered in were were really really good. We saw you know, a Peter Pollock goal rolled out for offside, but then we see a goal that was offside given um, a, a, a great ball in again um, from Logan. Um, and he was he was he was about he was about you know, half a yard offside. This, this, this crazy kind of diving header, um, and we find ourselves find ourselves two 0 ahead. It just descended the madness from there. Um, I remember watching it in I can't remember what pub we were watching it in. We unfortunately didn't make it over, and it really was you know you start thinking, you start looking thinking of the next round, don't you? Well, they were shell shocked at that point. They I think they they hadn't expected it as much as anything else. This was not going to script for Raika, and their response to going two 0 down was not good. I wouldn't say we had an element of control, but I, I don't recall them threatening our goal very much at all between our second and third goal, which came with about 15 minutes to go. I'll tell you who does deserve a mention here, and um, his Aberdeen career is usually sort of ignored as a footnote or a bit of an embarrassment to be associated with the club, but David Goodwillie that night, who got a nod to start ahead of Adam Rooney, um, which I think had a few heads uh, scratching any Aberdeen support, but he, he was immense that night. He really caused them a hell of a lot of bother just kind of operating up there by himself. Um, obviously, it was good support from the midfield, uh, from Pollitt, from McLe- uh, laterally from McLean. Wing-backs, as you say, Hayes and Logan were operate, uh, operating as wing-backs that night. So so the setup and the system just seemed to work. But yeah, Goodwillie put in a power of work that night, and he definitely deserves a mention in a positive sense in an Aberdeen jersey for once. 
and the third when McLean makes it three 0 it's dreamlike. It's just it's gone absolutely perfectly. And then towards the end, they have a bit of pressure. Danny Ward makes a couple of decent saves, and yeah, we come out of there with a well, not just a win, not just a decent result, but a three nil win. It's the tragedy, and it is a tragedy that it came at such an inconsequential stage of the tournament, so early in the tournament, as to not really make any massive difference. And then, obviously, we took like a seeding into the next round, and we didn't bungle it because obviously there's a lot of money being spent in Kyla Almaty. I don't think it was an embarrassment to go out to them, but. You know that was probably an opportunity to go to go further. Probably one of the better ones we'll have, and we weren't able to get over that that line. I, I, I do. I, I kind of. I do think you're, you've you've hit on something there. You know that performance. A performance like that coming so early in the tournament, and you, you know which which we would have needed to to, to beat a team like Rie. They showed earlier this season that they're no mugs um, and they show what they're capable of as well. Um, so yeah, uh, we needed a bit, needed a big performance. Just it seemed to be, you know, like I say, it's a bit inconsequential that yeah, and you get through, come up against another of these teams um, who just got, I know, a lot of dough. No shame in losing to them, but it was it was disappointing that it ended like that because that was that was a great chance of us getting further in the tournament. And you know, we all we've we've said it almost every year. Um, since we've been doing this, and probably every time before as well, that the group stages are, you know, are are where you need to be, where you want to be. You want these big, you want these a chance to get these big ties um, against this sort of bigger and dare we say sort of some sort of European royalty. Um, and we we just once again we kind of fell at that hurdle against a, a team that there's no shame in losing to, but no, it was there was there was, was, was a really really good chance there. I think. Well, something else happened uh, in the week of that game, and this is incredibly self-indulgent, but uh, but bear with us. Um, <laughs> the very first hour, um, here we go, although it wasn't called that, five years ago, podcast started in the week of that trip to Raika. We kicked off the minute-by-minute Twitter feed back then as well, and, you know, that Raika night was, it was a big night for that, and it's still a thrill, it has to be said, when... You're running an account like that, and the team gets a result like that, and you just you feel the kind of joy and the the surge of positivity amongst the support. You you actually you can feel it coming through on social media. It's still it's still a bit of a thrill, and that night was definitely one of them. So yeah, five years of the podcast, Martin. How's it been for you? Yeah, well, it's been great. No, there's been no. Obviously, there's been many many lows. Um... <laughs> Thanks. Uh, just no more. More in terms of more in terms of covering the games. I think to be honest, the podcast has been the podcast has been great. I think that um, yeah, having to cover having to cover some of the games. That's having to, but you know, covering some of the games is, um, and then knowing find that um, on Monday or Tuesday the next week I'm going to have to open the open the wound and rip off the bandage. <laughs> it's not always hasn't always been fun, but um, for for all that, you know, it's, it's been it's been really really enjoyable. Um, I can't believe we've been doing it. Well, actually, been doing this for five years. It's crazy, but you know, um, yeah, there's been there's been there's been some lows. I mean, you know, try try to think of the wor- some of the worst games I've seen. Probably that semi final against Motherwell um, in the blue kit. Um, that was that was atrocious. That was a fun that was a fun game to do the, do a minute by minute on, but. Um, for the most part, um, the games have been a, the games have been a joy, and this podcast have been great as well. No, some of the guests we've been very lucky lucky to have um, it really has been you know has been brilliant. Yeah, and, and I think that's really where we have to doff our caps to the fact that we've been able to get such tremendous quality guests. I mean, you know, getting hold of the ex players 
was was a real thrill for us. I remember the first one we had on was Gavin Ray. Gavin only had one season with us, but he was a Dons fan like us, and it, it felt like a proper thrill to us back then at the outset, managing to get hold of Gavin Ray. And since then, we've obviously been able to get some of the proper Dons legends on, which 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 is a real thrill in itself. But when I think about some of the the actual the sort of pundits, if you will, being able to get on, it, it's just it's fantastic, and really we're we're entirely indebted to them. The fact that they'll come on and obviously they'll come on and give us their time for free. It, it absolutely solidifies my belief that this will never have any sponsors. This show will always be entirely free because it would be absolutely repugnant for us to be sort of raking in even a very meagre sum of money for this, whatever this is, when you know, you've know you got the guys with the real knowledge and the real skill who are giving us the time for free. And I think we're very fortunate as Aberdeen fans that we've got actually some some of the best... Like You've got the guy who's chief football writer of the, of the Times, uh, <laughs> who, who's an Aberdeen fan. You've got one of the best young football writers that's just being able to explain and tell you something you hadn't noticed about a game before. Uh, in JJ is an Aberdeen fan. You've got Graham Hunter, who is bringing Spanish football just by the sheer will of his enthusiasm, and he's an Aberdeen fan. And it, it, you know, that's only a small selection of guys we've been fortunate enough to to invite on and, and invite back time and time again. Michael Grant, brilliant. Richard Gordon, brilliant. And everybody else has contributed. We are idiots, Martin, but everybody else who's <laughs> who's brought something to the table and. You know, that's what helps it to fly. And my mantra on this, this whole sorry ride for the last few, five years, has always been a sort of fanzine approach. It's always yeah. been, what would the Northern Light do, basically? <laughs> you know, you're never going to find us releasing something at 8 pm every Monday night because we're not, there's no hint of professionalism here. There's no burning desire to, you know, we're not of an age where we're trying to make a name in the industry and, become full-time writers on football or anything like that. It's it's done purely out of the fact that no one else was doing it. Martin, thank you very much for joining me over these past five years and joining me tonight. No problem at all, Richard. Okay, um, we'll be back with you. We'll, you know, when we can be bothered, basically. That's always been the approach. Uh, and um, no doubt, probably uh, at least another show before the big kickoff in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, thanks for listening tonight. Thanks for listening at any point over the past five years. Uh, and please keep doing so for as long as we can be bothered. All right. Come on, you Reds.